Acts chapter 9. Let's begin reading at verse 17, shall we? So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, Lord, we thank you for our time together, and we thank you for this day. We, uh, we ask now that you will give us ears to hear what the Spirit will say. I pray, O oh Lord, that this will be a day in which things that need to change will change. I lift up to you other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, and pray that you will draw them to a place of repentance. And I pray especially for sons and daughters who have walked away from the faith. I pray that you will draw them back so that not one of them will be lost. Lord, I continue to pray for our nation and for our world. I pray that righteousness will rule and reign. We know, O oh Lord, that there will not be a full expression of your righteous reign until you return. But Lord, in the meantime, I pray that you will keep our hearts toward you. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before you're seated, I want you to just look at somebody and say, get ready because you just might need to change. I heard one time about a lady who was coming out of a beauty shop, and as she was exiting, she passed another lady who was coming in. She stopped and said, oh, Mary, Mary Jones, what a joy to see you. It's been years since I've seen you, Mary. You, you look so different from the last time I saw you. Why, why you've slimmed down, and you've lost weight, and, and you fix your hair different. You, you've made your face different. Why, why, you even look taller than you used to look. The lady said, well, well actually, I'm not Mary Jones. I'm Helen Thompson. <laughs> oh, said the first lady, you've even changed your name. <laughs> T- 
Today, I want to talk to you about how the power of the Holy Spirit can radically transform your life. The word for transformed is the word from which we get our word metamorphosis, which, as you know, describes the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly or a tadpole turning into a frog, metamorphosis. But the process in the life of the one who is born of the Spirit is really much more dramatic than that. See, if a tadpole changes into a frog, he's gone through a change, but he's basically the same creature. His genetic makeup remains the same. But the work of the Spirit is a radical work. A person who experiences the work of the Spirit doesn't just turn over a new leaf. He receives a new life. Instead of a tadpole turning into a frog, it's more like a frog that has received the kiss of grace and has become a prince. That's the kind of radical, dramatic change that takes place in the person filled with the Spirit. This is the kind of transformation that happens to the man who is the central character in the story that forms the text for the message today. When he is first introduced, he goes by the name of Saul. He was a brilliant, well-trained young Pharisee. He had deep, passionate emotions. He had rigid standards. He, he had his philosophy of life all worked out. He was so passionate about the traditions in which he had been trained that when those traditions were threatened by a group who claimed to follow a man named Jesus, he lashed out in anger to try and do everything in his power to defend his faith and destroy their influence. At the beginning of chapter 9 of the book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus is persecuting the church and terrorizing the new believers. He's on his way from Jerusalem to the city of Damascus with warrants from the high priest authorizing him to capture members of the church and bring them bound to Jerusalem to stand trial. You know the story. As he was traveling on the road to Damascus in the middle of the day, suddenly there was a blazing light that blinded him. Later, he would describe the light as being brighter than the noonday sun. He was knocked from his horse, and there laying in the dust, the Lord Jesus spoke to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He answered, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul said, what will you have me to do? Get up. Enter the city of Damascus, go to a certain house on the street named Straight, and I'll send somebody there to tell you what you should do. Meanwhile, in the city of Damascus, the Lord was speaking to a disciple by the name of Ananias. He told him, Ananias, I have a job for you to do. I want you to go to the house of Simon, and there you're going to find a man named Saul, and I have a message I want you to deliver to him. Now, Ananias wasn't too excited about this assignment because he knew Saul's reputation and he knew that Saul was on his way to Damascus to imprison believers. 
But when he tried to lodge a protest, the Lord told him, you go ahead and do what I've instructed you to do. This man is a chosen instrument of mine. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, that's how the story unfolds before the part we read as our text for the message today. In obedience to the word of the Lord, Ananias came to the room, laid his hands on Saul, prayed for him, and Saul's sight was restored and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul gets baptized in water. He breaks the fast that he's been on since, since lying in the dust of the road by eating some food. The next scene finds him entering the synagogue and proclaiming the message that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God. Now, what you see happening in the life of this man, Saul, whose name is later changed to Paul, is the same kind of change that happens over and over again in the life of a person when the Holy Spirit begins to work in his or her life. The apostle will describe it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. As we look at the miraculous transformation that happened in the life of the man we come to know as the apostle Paul, I want to show you some of the new things that happen as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. These are some of the marks that let you know when you've truly been changed by the Spirit. First of all, when you are changed by the Spirit, you have a new Lord. Remember when Saul was lying flat of his back in the road, he asked two of the greatest questions anybody could ever ask. He asked, who are you, Lord? Then he asked, Lord, what would you have me to do? You know, one of the things we hear today is teaching and preaching that tries to get people to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. Then, after they've prayed a prayer and maybe lived for a little while, the message continues and says something like this. Now that you've gotten saved, why not make Jesus your Lord? Anybody heard anything like that? I don't know where we ever got the idea that the two concepts are separate. See, salvation isn't like a cafeteria line where you say, I believe I'll have some salvation today, but I'm going to pass on the Lordship. <clears throat> you don't find that idea in the Bible. The Bible never puts the emphasis upon receiving Jesus as Savior. The Bible doesn't put the emphasis upon making converts. The Bible puts the emphasis on making disciples. The Bible puts the emphasis upon the lordship of Jesus over your life. The Bible puts the emphasis upon making a full surrender of your will to the will of Jesus. See, the Bible talks about Jesus as Savior something like 24 times. But it talks about Jesus as Lord 433 times. Listen. Nobody is saved who hasn't surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. Nobody is saved who isn't actively, intentionally walking in a manner that is surrendered to the will and the purposes of Jesus. It doesn't matter how many so-called sinner's prayers you save. It doesn't matter how many times you are baptized. You can 
go into the baptism pool, a dry center, and come up a wet center. It's the evidence of a changed life that indicates the true condition of your relationship to God. When the Holy Spirit transformed the life of this man and turned him into the Apostle Paul, at that moment, he came under new management. He had a brand new Lord. And the evidence that you truly believe Jesus is the Son of God and the rightful ruler of your life is that you live in submission and obedience to his will, to his word, and to his way. Someone has written these words. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. The change the Holy Spirit makes is to give you a new Lord. Not only that, but when the Holy Spirit fills your life, you gain a new light. In verse 17, Ananias told Saul that the Lord had sent him to pray for him so that he could regain his sight. When he laid hands on him, verse 18 says, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight. Now, this is obviously something that took place in the physical realm. Saul was literally blinded by that light on the Damascus road, and he was literally healed. He was supernaturally healed of blindness. The meaning, however, is far greater than just something in the natural realm. This physical blindness is an outward picture of an inward spiritual condition. Saul wasn't just physically blind. He was spiritually blind until the work of the Holy Spirit began to change him. Suddenly, his physical eyes are opened. More importantly, his spirit can now see. He has light. He has understanding. He has insight. He has revelation that he didn't have before. You know, Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 and 3 that unless a man is born again, he cannot see. Psalm 27 and 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. This man we know as the Apostle Paul was a brilliant man. He had the equivalency of a double PhD. He had a facility in many languages. He had saturated himself in the Holy Scriptures. But when the scales fell from his eyes, he suddenly began to see things in the Bible he'd never seen before. When you read his story, you you find it wasn't long after the events of his conversion that he went down into Arabia. He put the Bible into his backpack and went off by himself. And when he came out of that desert where he'd been reading and studying with the Holy Spirit as his guide, he had Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Romans in his heart. He looked into the Old Testament and in the tabernacle, he saw Jesus. 
In the offerings of the Levites, he saw Jesus. In the ceremonies of the temple, he saw Jesus. In the law, he saw Jesus. In the prophets, he saw Jesus. In the Psalms, he saw Jesus. The whole Bible was full of Jesus, but he'd never seen it before. But now, the scales have fallen from his eyes. His heart has been opened. Revelation knowledge has been imparted. He was able to see with the light of the Holy Spirit things he had never noticed before. And I want to say to you, that's how you need to be praying for your loved ones today. See, you'll never argue them into the kingdom. You will never win them to Jesus by berating them and by condemning them, by condemning their lifestyle choices and by winning the debate. The only way your loved ones can truly come to know the Lord is if the Holy Spirit removes the scales from their spiritual sight So they can see their need for a savior. Only by revelation of the spirit. Can they recognize that their only hope. For sins forgiven. Is to trust in the crucified Christ. Only by revelation of the spirit. Can they understand. That they can't earn their way to heaven. But they can get there through the grace of God. And faith in Jesus. See that doesn't happen by information. It only comes by revelation. Revelation of the spirit. It comes about as the Holy Spirit brings about change to give you new light, to give you understanding and insight that you could never have apart from divine illumination. So if you want to know how to pray for your your loved ones to come to know Jesus, you need to be praying that the Holy Spirit will give them spiritual sight. Pray that the God of this world who has blinded their eyes that his influence will be removed so that their eyes will be opened. Not their physical eyes, their, their spiritual eyes. So that they can see what their real need is. And they can see how that Jesus can make a difference in their life. The mark of the change brought by the Holy Spirit is a new Lord, it's a new light. Then I want you to see it's a new liberty. Saul of Tarsus had been bound. He was bound by the law of sin and death. After the Holy Spirit did a work in his life, he would later write in Romans 8 and 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. He would write to the church in 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's the power of a life changed by the spirit of God. It's the power to walk in liberty. It's the power to live in such a manner that you are no longer a slave to sin. Now, you hear this preacher this morning. I'm telling you, you don't have to keep yielding to temptation. You don't have to keep giving in to the pressure. You don't have to exhaust your energies fighting the same old habits and the same old phobias and the same old patterns and the same old demons. You can live a changed life. You can live a transformed life. You can live a victorious life. You can live an overcoming life. The Spirit of the Lord breaks the chains of bondage and gives you the power to walk in liberty. The life-giving, bondage-breaking, transforming power of the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to testify with assurance the words of the gospel song we sing around here sometime. I'm free 
from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of my past. For I've traded my shackles for a glorious song. I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. I wanna know if there's anybody listening to this message, you can testify to the liberty that's been brought to your life by the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's just give him praise if you know about that today. The mark of the change that happens in your life by the Spirit is you have a new Lord, you have a new light, you have a new liberty. And then I want you to see that it's a new love. You know, before the Holy Spirit began to change this man, verse 1 says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. After his encounter on the Damascus Road and being prayed for by Ananias to receive the Holy Spirit, verse 19 says, he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Now, now that's quite a contrast. Think about it. Just a short time before, he was threatening the disciples. He was breathing out threats of murder. His heart was filled with bitterness, vindictiveness, and malevolence toward those who were followers of Jesus. But now the Holy Spirit has started working. Those he once loathed, he now loves. When he gets to Damascus, he's blind. But then Ananias comes to him under the direction of the Holy Spirit. The scales fall from his eyes. The first sight he sees is the face of Ananias. And the first words he hears are those of Ananias saying, Brother Saul. Now the very ones he was persecuted are the ones he is defending. The very ones he was trying to destroy are the ones he's trying to assist. What an incredible transformation. I want to suggest to you that it's impossible to be a follower of Jesus and not have love for the saints of God. I need to say that again. It is impossible to be a follower of Jesus and not have love for the saints of God. I'll tell you something else. It's impossible to love Jesus without loving his body, the church. If you love Jesus, then you're going to love what Jesus loves. You remember what Jesus asked this man when he appeared to him while he was lying in the dust on the Damascus Road? He asked him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul could have easily said, I don't know who you are. I've got nothing against you. I'm persecuting these people they call Christians. I'm not interested in you. It's these Christians I'm against. The truth is that the church is the body of Jesus. And when you persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus. When you ignore the church... You're ignoring Jesus. When you honor the church, you're honoring Jesus. There's no such thing as saying Jesus, yes, and the church, no. It it doesn't work that way. I was reading recently a little bit about the giant sequoia trees that grow in California. These are mammoth trees, and they're ancient as well. Some of them, I'm told, are thousands of years old. They can grow to a height of more than a 20-story building with a circumference of more than 70 feet. 
Now, with such an incredibly big tree, I, I spent yesterday most of the day digging up a couple of sago palm trees. I think sago palms are part of the curse from the garden. I'm not sure about that. You know. One of them wasn't so bad. I, you know, was able to dig it out and pull it out and get it done. The other one, the thing stood about this tall, and it was about yay big around. And I dug and worked and worked and dug and sweated and sweated <laughs> and sweated. Finally, I was able to, that one was, in, was located in such a place. I had a nice, big, thick rope I wrapped around the tree, put it, tied it to the trailer hitch on my truck, pulled. First few times, it didn't even wiggle. <laughs> Dug some more, pulled some more, snatched it, got a little movement, finally snapped my rope. I was about to lay hands suddenly without prayer on the thing and cast it forth. Retied the rope. Thankfully, it was long enough. I had more rope and retied it and finally pulled the thing out. Well, you know, you know those, the, the, the root system on those things is just unbelievable. Well, you would think with these sequoia trees that are so massive, you would think it would have this tremendously deep taproot to keep it standing so tall for such a long period of time. But what I discovered in reading is that those massive trees don't have deep tap roots at all. Their roots grow very close to the surface. And you even have to limit the amount that you walk around close to the trunk of those trees so you don't compact the earth and even risk breaking some of the feeder roots that supply these trees with their nutrients for survival. See, when you find the really large sequoias, they aren't growing singly by themselves. You find them growing in groves. And the experts say that the reason these trees have survived for such a long time and the reason they've grown so large is because they grow in these groves and their roots all intertwine with the others. So when the winds come... One tree doesn't have to try and stand all by itself. They literally hold one another up. Listen, listen, if you want to be a giant for God, you'll get in fellowship of the church. You'll stay connected to brothers and sisters in the body. You'll love one another and you'll care for one another. You won't isolate yourself, but you'll bind yourself together with others of like faith. Oh, I can't tell you how it grieves me when someone is going through a struggle, hard times come, and the first thing you know, they've started separating themselves. You don't see them in church as often as you used to see them. You try to contact them and they, they don't return your call or they ignore your email or your text. You send them a card. You, you try to reach out to them, 
but they just kind of close themselves off. And then you find out that they're really struggling and they're really having a hard time. I want to tell you, when times are rough, that's when you need to run to the church. That's when you need to cling to the church because that's where you're going to find the strength you need to get through this. Why do we insist? Oh, I'll tell you why. It's called, I found if I spell it, it doesn't hurt so bad. P-R-I-D-E. I don't want anybody to know I'm struggling. I'm too P-R-O-U-D. As if we haven't all struggled. Come on, somebody. Anybody that hasn't had a struggle, just come right down now and I'll cast that lion spirit out of you. Of course we have. Of course we do. But when you struggle, run to the body. Draw strength from the body. Encourage one another. Build up one another. That's how you're going to make it. And that's the change the Holy Spirit makes. He gives you a new love. It's a love for one another in the body of Christ. Now, we're not, we're not all the same. Aren't you glad? I mean, really? This would be a pretty dull, boring place if everybody was just like Pastor John. God forbid. I know I wouldn't like it. I mean, I like me. But I wouldn't want everybody to be like me. And I wouldn't want everybody to be like you either. Come think of it. But there's strength in the diversity. And where one is weak, the other one is strong. And, and we lend our strength to the weakness. And, and, we, and we build up one another and we, we help one another. That's what happens with it. I got I to gotta go on. Um, not only does the Holy Spirit change you so you have a new Lord, a new light, a new liberty, and a new love. Last one. Those who are changed by the Spirit also have a new labor. Listen again to verses 20 through 22. Immediately, Saul began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who had called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. See, before his labor had been to destroy the church, now his labor was to build the church. Before his labor had been to minimize Jesus, now his labor is to maximize Jesus. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said that the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming is to give power to his followers to be witnesses. That's the change the Holy Spirit makes, a new labor. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who is filled with the Spirit becomes a preacher or a missionary or an evangelist. It does mean that the Holy Spirit changes your focus so you have a concern for the souls of others. It means that you have a desire to tell your family and your friends and your loved ones about the most incredible thing that has ever happened to your life. You've been born again by the Spirit. You know, I, 
when something really good happens to me, I can hardly wait to tell Betsy. I want to share the joy with her. Sometimes I'll call her in the middle of the day, interrupt her work, and say, hey, babe, I just want to tell you about this. And she'll say, okay, that's nice. Got to go. <laughs> no, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. I made that up. I just made that up, and I'm going to pay for it later. <laughs> She's excited, too. She wants to hear it. When something good happens, I want to tell my kids. I want to tell the people I work with in the office. I want to put it out on social media. One of the marks that you've been changed by the Holy Spirit is that you want to tell everybody about the good news of Jesus. And at the end of the day, that's why it's important to have this encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's really about the change the Holy Spirit makes so that you have an ability beyond yourself to share Jesus. You have boldness, courage, insight. You know what to say and when to say it. Can I just stop there long enough to say, you can trust the Holy Spirit in your life to know that you're saying it at the right time and you're saying the right thing? You, you, you can trust that. Too many people just close their mouths because uh, I'm, I'm just so afraid I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say the right thing. No, just trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit. You have a new Lord, a new light, a new liberty, a new love, and a new labor because You've been changed by the power of the Spirit. Woke up early this morning with this message on my mind. And it wasn't exactly sure how I was going to finish this message. But I just felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, just ask the people if there's something in their life that they want to be different. Ask him, if they want something to change. What you've been doing hasn't been working. Just give them an opportunity. Let them know that something can change. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Come play, Pastor Larry. If you play, I'll quit. Eventually. Here's what I know. If you have something in your life that, that needs to change, I know this. Sometimes when you ask the Lord, He will change the circumstance. He'll change the situation. Sometimes He will change you. He'll change what needs the most work. He'll work on whichever end needs the most work. Sometimes it'll be the situation and He'll just... Work that thing out. Sometimes it'll be you. Either way, there'll be a transformation that takes place. Stand with me, please. And before we leave this house today, I just want to give you an invitation. If there's somebody here today, and I, I'm not going to prolong or wait on you, you know, you, you know if you've got something that you want to change. I don't know what that means for you. Not for me to know. I just want to believe with you and agree with you in prayer that whatever it is, we're going to pray and the Holy Spirit's going to work and it's going to change. And so today, if you have something 
and you say, I need this, I want this to change, just step to the nearest aisle and come and stand here and meet me in front.